Welcome to Large Group, guys. It's good to, to be with you. I hope that Thanksgiving break was restful for you all. And um, uh, no matter where you are tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, uh, we're really glad that you're here. Whether this is the first time you've been to, to Large Group this semester or you've been every week, um, this is our last night of the semester together. And uh, it's just good to be with you. Um, if I haven't met you, I'm Matt Patrick, the campus minister with RUF uh, at Wofford, and um, if you haven't met me or Caroline, our intern, we'd love to, and to get together with you, uh, I guess it would be either over interim now or, um, or next semester, but uh, it's been a great semester with you. We are one of the many campus ministries here trying to lo- walk alongside you in your faith, and we are trying to figure out what it looks like for us to be a community that loves God loves others and loves Wofford, but more fundamentally, I hope that you've experienced this year that before anything else, we want to celebrate every single week that Jesus loves us. Before anything else, Jesus loves us. And what we're finishing up tonight is our series on the parables. We've been looking at the parables of Jesus every week, and what we've seen is that Jesus, um, right when people would think that they have Jesus figured out, he would tell them a parable and he would do this to frustrate them, to disorient and disrupt our categories about who we think God is and what we think the gospel is, what it looks like to trust and follow him in a fallen world. And we started uh, with the prodigal son for two weeks, uh, and now we're looking at a parable about being lost and found, and it's the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. I stumbled upon an article, and the title is this, Woman Quits Job to Spend 57 Days Searching for a Lost Border Collie and Finds Her. Um, True story. And uh, the owner is Carol King, and with the help of friends and strangers and um, people she does know and doesn't know on social media, uh, the dog uh, was at last found. And... Here's a section of, of some of the article. Carol King eventually found the incredible, incredibly malnourished dog, the border collie Katie, quote, severely dehydrated and in starvation mode. Per local vet, the city of Kalispell, Montana, where she lives, uh, after a tip-off from a phone call on September 15th, and this is, this is the owner, this is Carol King, I just bear-hugged her. I wasn't going to let her go, King told the spokesman review. Tears were flying. We were screaming. Everyone is high-fiving, hugging each other. People are are stopping in their vehicles, getting out, hugging us. And I think the whole neighborhood knew that we found her. Um, What does the Bible say about lostness? And uh, what does it it say about being found? Um, Jesus told these two small parables to get at this. That's what we're talking about tonight. Um, this is God's word. It's in your handout or in your Bible if you brought one. It's Luke 15, 1 to 10. And friends, uh, this is God's word. He's spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace or book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me because he loves us. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. 
What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my, my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Here's the second parable. Or what woman, having uh, ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I, have, that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is a, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word of God for the people of God. Let's go to him now and ask that he might teach us. Lord, we give thanks to you for your word. It indeed is living and active, and we know this to be true because you are living and active Lord, um, we do ask that you, just for a few moments, would slow us down, that we might find Jesus to be beautiful and uh, more believable and more safe and gracious than we did before we walked into this room. Lord, you know us uh, here better than we know ourselves, and we ask that you would meet us right where we are in the particular needs that we have, Um, Lord. Encourage us if we need that. Confront us. Convict us if we need to be stretched. Lord, meet us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> Game plan is simple, and, and it's before you. First, lost. Second, found. It's the game plan, uh, how we're going to walk through this passage. Lost and found. So our text begins by noting that Jesus was very popular amongst uh, outcasts and sinners and tax collectors and sinners they were all flocking to Jesus they were all it says all drawing near just going to Jesus the pharisees and scribes uh, they didn't like this uh, they didn't like this at all the pharisees and scribes were essentially the the religious experts of the day the the pharisees were like clergy the scribes were like the seminary professors and they were respectable they were theologically and ethically and morally astute but they had this tendency not to like dirty people. They didn't like messy people. And tax collectors, you might know this, were scoundrels. We've looked at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and we talked about these two kinds of men. Tax collectors were corrupt Jewish men who were collecting taxes, and they always they loved to cut corners in doing so. And you just didn't really want to caught being around them, especially not associating with them and having meals with them like Jesus is doing that. Uh, in this parable. But that's the backdrop of the story. Messy people flocking to Jesus and people getting really angry about it. And so that's the backdrop of the two stories. And Jesus saying in these two stories that you got to get lost. If you want to be found by Jesus, by the shepherd, you have to get lost. So what does the Bible say about lostness? But what does it mean to be lost? We've probably heard that before, uh, he's so lost, she's so lost. Like, what do we mean by that? Well, the sheep in this story is lost. He, he leaves his 99 
brothers and sisters, goes into the far country, and the coin in this parable is lost. Both the sheep and the coin are utterly unable to make themselves found. They are utterly unable to make themselves found. Sheep, uh, they're pretty cute. They're extremely incompetent, uh, to put it nicely. Um, And when they run away from their shepherd, they're good as dead. Uh, anything you read about shepherds uh, and sheep, that's, that's, uh, that's just the case. And the coin, uh, uh, as you know, is an inanimate object. It has no life. It can't be found in, an, in its own resources. The only shot for the sheep is the shepherd, and the only shot for the coin is this woman. Lost, incompetent, dependent, uh, dead. Um, lost. With Jesus, you can't be found uh, unless you get lost. One pastor puts it this way, when we typically think of lostness, we think of someone who has lost their way, like a deliberate decision to wander, wander away, and if only they could get their bearings, they could find their way back. But being lost, according to the Bible, means you are desperate and without hope. And the Apostle Paul who knew what it meant on a personal level uh, and talked about lostness a lot, um, wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians. And he spoke about lostness this way. He said, you, you and me, were dead in our trespasses and sins. We are spiritual corpses. Uh, We're like zombies. Uh, We have no resources in and of ourselves to make ourselves wake up, uh, to, to resurrect our souls, to heal our wounds. And this understanding, I know this, this understanding of lostness is, um, is challenging for us because it means that you have to, uh, to come to terms with the fact that you have no ability to find yourself. You actually have to renounce confidence in your own obedience, your own gifts, and say, I bring nothing to the table that you're hopeless as the sheep and as dead as the coin. Being lost means that you are owning the fact that we're in the darkness. <clears throat> so it's Christmas time. We have our sweaters on. And uh, my man here with the, the, the Stranger Things sweater is killing me over here. I love that. You win tonight. Um, and uh, look, you know, we're officially here. We're watching Home Alone. We're, uh, we're, we're on Amazon adding to our wish list. Uh, we are doing lessons and carols. We're, uh, we're fired up about Christmas. And it, you know, this is the time that the church has historically celebrated the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God taking on flesh and moving into the neighborhood of the earth and, and our sin to redeem us. And it's called Advent. It's what the church has called it. And it's just a, another word for coming. Um, and I don't know about you, but with the lights and the gifts and the Christmas movies, I love it. It's just distracting. And what it it does, it it actually distracts me from remembering that Advent, Christmas, that Jesus uh, goes into the dark. He goes into the dark. Um, The darkness of our shame and our sin to resurrect us, to, to save us. Because Jesus did not come to earth to, like, help us out. Because, like, we kind of needed help. Jesus didn't come to earth because we needed, like, some self-esteem and some life coaching. 
We were dead in the dark and we needed outside help. That's what he walked into. And that's the beauty of this time of year. Um, the shepherd goes after the lost. Um, let's go to found. What does it mean to be found? The shepherd is on the hunt, and so is this woman, for uh, the things they love, the sheep and the coin. Um, and what does it mean to be found? Uh, Jesus is trying to say, I mean, the, the shepherd and this woman is, are stands in for Jesus. This is what it means, and, and ex- the experience that the, the, the sheep and the coin have are letting us in on what it means to be found by Jesus. And I want to ask this question, what contribution does the sheep and the coin bring to the table in their being found? What do they bring to the table? Let's look at verse 4 and 5 again. Follow along with me if you, if you have it in front of you. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if you lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulder and he rejoices. And I ask it another way. How much work does the sheep do here? How much work? He doesn't do anything. He can't because he's lost. He's dead. How much work does the coin do uh, in being found by the woman? None. He does nothing. He, like it's a, it's a male, male coin. Um, when it comes to salvation, y'all, being found, it is 100% God's initiative. <laughs> It is all his work, all of it. And the only thing that we bring to the table is being lost. The only thing that we contribute is our lostness. Being found by Jesus is not a self-improvement project. Being found by Jesus means that he's the one on the run. He's the one who leaves everything. He is the one who, after finding you, picks you up. Do you notice this? Sheep were like 150 pounds average in this time. And, and trap does all the work and carrying you home. He does all the work, 100% of it. He's the one who lights the lamp and is on this restless search to find you. Jesus does all the work because Christianity is not about us finding God. It is about Jesus finding us. The story of the Bible is not... Humanity's ascent to God, it's God's ascent descending down to us. And he gets very, very low and dark all the way to death to do it. And he's relentless in doing this in his pursuit of people who are lost, of sinners who have no hope. You know this, the Old Testament story of the Bible, it's not a bunch of guys and and gals who just need like self-improvement and and self-help books they need they need something more i mean adam and eve the mother and father of sin and then we have cain and abel i mean you think that your family uh is dysfunctional and uh awkward around the holidays cain and abel uh it was family drama all the way down and then we have um and then we have paul and peter paul who persecuted the church peter who denies jesus three times david who is an adulterer and a murderer man after god's own heart um, life coaching and New Year's resolutions didn't cut it for these screw-ups. <laughs> Just didn't cut it. Because these people don't need a more positive self-esteem. They need a Savior. It's always, it's always what we've needed. 
Growing up, uh, I thought that a relationship with Jesus was rooted in my ability to clean myself up. Show up for Sunday school, don't miss. Follow a Bible reading plan. Cultivate a rich prayer life. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't party. And as a TJ, teenager, like I bought into this. I believed that this would work. And it was an absolute joke. It was an absolute joke. And in retrospect, I know it was a joke because I was actually placing all my confidence in my own abilities to obey. My confidence was the joke. I was putting confidence in my own ability to obey Jesus. And actually doing so, I was stiff-arming him. I wasn't letting him come to me and, to, and find me. And the gospel clicked for me when I was a freshman in, in, in college. And when I read those words from the Apostle Paul, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And I found, I found that to be so much different than everything that I'd experienced um, theologically in church and experientially in my own life, where I just thought if I just did X, Y, and Z enough, if I just stuck to a Bible reading plan, if I just cleaned up enough, if I just got better at this sin or that sin, then I would be enough. I'd be found. And when I learned to renounce confidence in my obedience and to get lost, the gospel was, was sweet to me. <clears throat> that I, I admitted that I couldn't clean myself up and I actually needed a savior. The Avett brothers put this so well. They have a song called February 7, and it's a song about death and resurrection. It's what it's about, and uh, this is the last stanza. This song was kind of a game changer for me when I first heard it in college. I went on the search for something real, traded what I know for how I feel, but the ceiling and the walls collapsed. Upon the darkness I was trapped, and the last breath was drawn from me and the light broke in and brought me to my feet. Uh, I didn't need a self-improvement project. I needed outside help. I needed to be invaded by a power greater than myself, and Jesus and his grace. Um, I mean, I started watching this, this show called uh, Living With Yourself on Netflix with Paul Rudd. Has anyone heard or seen this show? Okay, a couple people. Um, so fascinating. Um, about halfway through... But essentially, Paul Rudd plays uh, Miles Elliott, and he's having a midlife crisis of sorts. And he's bored at his desk job. His marriage is going downhill. His wife is so, like, clearly and evidently disappointed in him. And a friend, a coworker, uh, actually um, invites him and says, hey, you should go to this spa, not to get a massage, but to have this treatment. And they... they <coughs> Uh, put you under and you wake up the best version of yourself. That's what the treatment promises. And so he goes. He goes to this really sketchy spa and he wakes up. But what happens, they, they, they mess up in the treatment and they accidentally clone him. Uh, he doesn't wake up a better version of himself. They clone him and he wakes up the same and the clone is the better version of himself. And his wife discovers this clone, and obviously she's freaking out. And there's this crucial scene where she confronts the old Miles and says, like, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? And it cost him 50 grand to do this. What were you thinking? And I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he essentially said, I was so restless with the life and what I've turned out to be, I needed help. 
he got to the end of himself. He knew in and of himself the resources that he had, he can't change. He can't change himself. Like another book is not going to cut it. I need outside help. I'm going to go spend 50K because I need outside help. Being found by Jesus means you throw in the towel with our goofy self-salvation projects that we have. Throw in the towel. Get lost. Stop. And then that's when the gospel is sweet. Jesus said in Mark 2 that he came to heal who? The sick. I.e., those who can't heal themselves. Because the people who are well, they don't need a physician. He came for needy people. Jesus pursues those who admit their soul so sick they have to have outside help and assistance. What drove the shepherd and this woman uh, in their actions? Do you notice this? It's repeated, this word. It was joy. Joy drove their actions. This relentless search was driven by joy. Jesus does not seek and save the lost out of obligation because he got in some deal that he lost with God the Father and now he has to go do this thing that he didn't want to do. That's not what he did. He doesn't pursue us because he's obligated. He pursues you and me because you're his joy. Have you ever found, have you ever lost something that maybe was given to you and you, you lost it and you were really restless about it? That doesn't even begin. I remember losing my, my wedding ring in seminary. Um, I always flick my wedding ring around like this, and this is $45. Um, but when I lost it in seminary, I was so panicked uh, because there's, there's joy uh, in this ring and what it represents. And I was restless about it. Jesus, y'all, with you um, running away, prone to wander as we are, like lost sheep, is so restless until he finds you, not because he has to do it, because you're his joy. I hope you see that. Imagine, uh, if you will, again, the, the, the father and the prodigal son. Do you remember this? We started the semester. I want you to think about it again. The, the younger son, the prodigal, goes away into the far country, comes to his senses. He's essentially homeless. He's wasted all his money. He prepares this speech, and he's on the way home. And how do you expect the father to respond? We talked about this. I don't know about you. I expect the father to be kind of on his screened-in porch or something, sipping, uh, sipping coffee, and arms are crossed, foot's tapping, and he's like, it is about time he came home. And if you've read that story, if you were here, you know what he does. He runs to him. He cannot contain himself. He has to get to his boy. Why? His boy's home. And he finds joy in it. What does he do? He throws a party. He throws a party. The whole community has this massive barbecue because this prodigal who squandered everything is home. He's back. Jesus is relentless in his pursuit of his people, and he won't let up, not because he has to, because you're his joy. I've told this story before, I think maybe in my first year here when we were talking about the I am statements. So juniors, you would have been freshmen. Um, this Australian shepherd runs this really long race. And uh, he's 60 years old. The race was multiple days, 500 miles total. He wins the race. 
This is a true story. He wins the race, and the reason that he won it is because while everyone else was sleeping, all the runners were uh, sleeping at night, he kept running through the night. He wins, and the next day, he's asked, like, what on earth drove you to run through the night? There's no way you could have won on your own, and if you'd have ran like everyone else and managed time the way that they did, how did you do this? And this is what he said. When I was running through the night, I tricked myself into believing and imagining that my sheep were running away from me into the darkness, and I had to run after them to get them. Man, um, Jesus, Jesus runs after screw-ups um, and failures and people who cannot find their way home and have no other hope. Um, the screw-ups are uh, all of us, uh, level playing field. We're all uh, like lost sheep, um, and we're his cup of tea because we're lost. Um, and that's uh, the rest. We're his specialty for being found by him is in our lostness. Again, the, the shepherd and the woman, they throw parties. Did you notice this? Why they have joy? They're like, I, we have to throw the, I found the coin. I found my sheep. I found my lost son. Let's party. That's what happens. They have their joy, and the joy is in you. Um, so what do we say about this? Uh, a couple things, and we're going to land the plane and be done. Guys, um, wherever you find yourself spiritually tonight, whether you don't know where you're stand, stand with Christianity, you don't call yourself a Christian, I'm really glad you're here. Um, and I don't know what you think about Christianity. Or you have grown up in the church and you've probably read this parable a dozen times. Wherever you stand spiritually, you never move on from needing Jesus. You do not move on from this story. There is no moving on. The New Testament tells us that spiritual growth is becoming more and more dependent on Jesus. Not more autonomous and independent. It's more needy. It's more like a child. It's more childlike and dependent upon the Father. We don't move on from this. And this is hard for, for, for a lot of you because a lot of you struggle with pride, like me. And if you're like me, I don't like admitting that I need help. Not just in the initial sort of conversion of believing in Jesus for the first time, but like need him to like make big decisions or need him to forgive someone who hurt me when I was 16 or need him to focus on writing a sermon or need him to go home for the holidays and have conversations that I'm trying to avoid because I know they're going to be difficult. We don't like being needy, but y'all, we never move on from being needy. It's actually spiritually healthy when you're needy and you're admitting this. Others of us in this room are so ridden with shame, it's like a miracle that you're even here tonight. It's probably difficult that you're here. And me talking about lostness, I don't have to convince you that you're lost. You intuitively and existentially feel it. You felt it all semester. And to you, I just want to say welcome to the club. You're in good company with David and Abraham and Paul, and Peter, and me, and Caroline, and Ivy, and everyone in this room, welcome to the club. We're all a mess. 
We all need Jesus. And I hope, I hope you, that does, I don't, you know, it's, I actually want you to um, be encouraged by that because the sheep is, the, the shepherd's on the hunt for you. Whether you're proud older brother and you're tapping your foot mad because all the prodigals getting all their grace, or you're the, the prodigal son left of the far country and you're like, will he ever chase me down again if I come home? He won't accept me. The shepherd loves you no matter whether you're an older son or a younger son. He loves you, delights in you. And y'all, I, we've talked about this before. One of the reasons that I love that hymn, We Will Feast in the House of Zion, because it's a picture of heaven. The picture of heaven in the New Testament, how the Bible ends, is a meal. It's a meal. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why, why do you think that's significant with this parable? Because it's God's like cosmic party that he has to throw. He has to throw it because he's, his joy, because he's so joyful because his kids are home, finally, all of them. They're all home, and let's party and never stop. That's where we're going. Um, I hope that's encouraging to you as it is to me. Amen. Um, let me pray for us. <clears throat>